tonight, uh, briefly as we look into the Word, we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 15, and I want to teach on a merry heart. The Bible talks about a merry heart. We, we live in a world where there's not a lot of joy, and we live in a world where there's not a lot of happiness, but for folks like us that know the King, we can always have a smile on our face. So in Proverbs 15, we're going to look at two scriptures in this chapter. We'll look at verse 13, and then we'll look at verse 15. Proverbs 15, verse 13, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but the sorrow of the heart, but by the sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. So notice then, we're, we're talking about a heart that is able to be shaped, conformed, and molded by different kinds of emotions. And you can see that happiness is one of those. But we can also see how sorrow is also able to affect our heart. Now, the scripture tells us that our countenance is connected to our heart. And when we're talking about our heart, we're not talking about that organ that's pumping the blood through your body. We're talking about that inward part of you that's spiritual. And when that is where it needs to be in its relationship with God, all of that is going to be expressed through our countenance. So then, if a heart can be made merry, then verse 13 says that merry heart is able to create and is able to produce. Have you ever met people that you can read their expressions and understand what they're thinking? And some people don't have the ability to hide their thoughts. In fact, sometimes we tell people that. We, we say, you know, you always look like what you're thinking. If you're mad at somebody, you look like you're mad. Or if you're, you're pleased with something, you look like you're pleased. Well, that's what the countenance is. Our facial expressions is almost like a form of writing. The same way a person can read a letter to understand the thoughts of a person, I can look at your facial expressions and tell whether or not you're interested in the person who's talking with you. Now, maybe you've had this experience before where you're uh, talking with someone in a conversation and then somebody comes along and wants to engage you in a conversation and is not somebody you want to talk to. You know very often your face will reveal that. And, and if, if you're in having some adult conversation and then your little kids come up to you and they start butting in and they start tapping you trying to get your attention and you're still trying to hold on to your conversation but they keep tapping you wanting to butt in, do you realize your facial expression will reveal what you're thinking at that time? Yeah. So the, the face then is, is almost like a canvas on which the heart is able to produce a number of pictures and images. Now me, I like it when people look happy when I'm around. But I'm well aware that there are some people that aren't really excited when a pastor comes around. There are times I'll go to coffee with different people, and you know, bringing a pastor into a coffee group, it just changes everything. Everything, because now people who, who used bad language don't necessarily want to use it now. 
And sometimes when they want to tell those jokes that aren't so good, now they have to be overly cautious about that because they want to maybe put on a, a, a pretty good... Uh, you know, pretty good thing in front of people so it doesn't seem that bad. But, but if I've learned anything that the military taught me, it was this thing called tact. And tact and bearing go together. Bearing has to do with how you express yourself and bearing has to do with how that outward expression reveals what's going on. So in the military, they would say, if someone gives you an order that you don't like, you can't even frown. That's against regulations. Because if you frown, you've lost your bearing. That means you could be written up and possibly lose several hundreds of dollars for that month. So what you quickly learn to do is, no matter what is said, no matter what is done to you, you just maintain one facial expression and don't ever betray your convictions or what you're believing. Well, sometimes that's a good thing as a pastor because when I'm talking with people and they're sharing with me uh, things that have occurred in their life, sometimes very difficult things that have happened, I don't ever want to look like there's shock on my face. See, it's important. Reminds me of John Hagee's wife who... When John had started that church and he had thousands of people coming out there and he was preaching and, you know, most folks just kind of thought a pastor's wife should be able to play an instrument or sing or something like that. So they asked Diana, they said, what what's your gift, your talent? Well, she didn't do either of those things. So she thought she would just kind of explore to find out what her gifts and talent were. So she thought that it was counseling young ladies. So she started bringing young ladies into the office, and she counseled with them. And she said on one occasion, there was a lady talking with her, and the lady was explaining all of these terrible sins that she had done, the kinds of things that Paul says we shouldn't even make mention of, things that done in the dark. And so she sat there listening to that lady, and at the end of it, she was waiting for some word of wisdom or some profound piece of understanding to fall out of her mouth. And the first thing she said was, you did all of that? And then, of course, she realized that that wasn't her particular gift either. Well, her face betrayed what she was thinking. But, but notice here, happiness, when it's inside of somebody, it produces a facial expression of joy. And then look at verse 15. He that has a merry heart has a continual feast. If there's one thing I've learned about family gatherings and church gatherings and friends getting together, if there is tasty food and people get along, you're going to have happiness. You're going to have laughter. You are going to have joy. The reason for that is because we like to eat. Everybody likes to eat. We're designed to eat. God made us to eat and drink and be merry. And doing that is not a sin at all. But the scripture says the one who has a merry heart has a continual feast. What does that mean? It's unending. It's unending. You can have a, a broken spirit because of sorrow. You can be excessively sad. And you'll look every day like you're living in the midst of a famine. How do people in a famine look? 
like someone has laid siege to them and they can't get in or, or can't get, get to enjoy any kind of blessing of God. So the people overseas right now in the middle of the war, you've got one group of people surrounding the cities with tanks and all of this. And the whole point of that is they want to control the roads of access. If they don't let humanitarian assistance in, if they don't let food in and other people and refugees come out, then, of course, by locking the people in, you, you basically take them and you uh, cause them to become weakened. Food strengthens the body. Food and nourishment gives us the capacity to be strong. But once a person goes without food for a period of time, it's at that point that they grow weak in their physical body. So this is why the devil lays siege to you and to me. He creates problems in your life that essentially will steal the joy out of your life, that will rob you of happiness. And the scripture says in Nehemiah chapter 8, the joy of the Lord is your what? Strength. You lose your joy, you don't have any strength. You become weak. And once that we become weak, then that's when the devil starts working very hard to rock our boat. We don't have the ability to resist. He starts creating storms. We're too weak to even speak to the storm and tell it to stop. And once we become weak, we become overcome by that adversary. Now, the, the predators that chase wild animals, as you know, they try to break off one from the herd. Then they pounce upon it. When we become weak and we lose our joy, then we don't want to be around Christians. We don't want to hear Christian music. We don't want to read our Bible. And we very often remove ourselves from fellowship. Since we're not being fed spiritually and we're not enriching our lives by being around people with a merry heart, then we end up backsliding and moving away from God. But I'm telling you right now, one of the best things that could ever happen to you is if someone smiles at you and gives you a hug. Somebody gives you a handshake. So the Bible says in verse 15, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Again, I like to eat. I enjoy eating. And so since I enjoy a feast with all kinds of different foods, I also believe that joy in my life brings me the contentment and satisfaction that a continual feast would bring. And I'd much rather be around people that make me laugh and make me smile than be around people that turn my smile upside down. Yeah. Turn to chapter 17 of Proverbs. Notice what it says in verse 22. A merry heart, it does good like what? A medicine. See, a merry heart does good like medicine. All of us in here at some point or another have taken some form of medicine. There are different kinds of medicines that serve different purposes. Some medicines are to maybe numb the pain of what you may be dealing with. Another kind of medicine may take someone who seems to be very hyper and animated and slow them down. 
Somebody else who may be excessively sad and battling depression might have something that'll lift them up. The pharmacists have all kinds of concoctions and mixtures that they can put together, whether it's a medicine or a supplement. If you're lacking in iron, if you're needing vitamin D, if you're needing vitamin C, you can find it all in a pill form. And once this stuff is ingested and goes into the system, it has some kind of curative or some kind of ingredient that a prescriber will believe is going to help you. Well, here's what God says in verse 22. A merry heart does good like a medicine. Now, this isn't a verse that's for or against medicine. It's only making a comparison that a happy heart is like a medicine. Now, I've seen plenty of people do this. They'll have a terribly, terribly bad migraine headache. And I mean, it's just throbbing and, and they're out of aspirin. And I don't know whether it's ibuprofen, Tylenol, Bear, whatever it is that they want. The, the, the head is throbbing. And so finally, when you get there to give them that, that aspirin, and I mean, you can tell by their face that they're in pain. Because the Bible says all the days of the afflicted are evil or bad. There's just not a lot of happiness with pain. But I've also seen them where when they're in pain and then they get that tablet and they've got a glass of water and then they take that tablet and then within about 30 seconds, they'll just sigh like, oh. Now that's got to be a super tablet if it's working that fast. I've never seen a tablet or a pill work that fast at all. However, I know that the person who has taken it has sighed with relief because they're under the impression now Deliverance is coming in some form or fashion. You understand? Yeah. So if, you, if you've ever had a surgery or had some difficult where you had pain and the doctor said to you, take this medicine to stay ahead of the pain, but you don't stay on, on top of it like you should and you get behind, then, of course, the pain in your body is causing problems. But once you take the tablet, there are a lot of people who say, oh, my goodness, that, that's just wonderful. But, but Jesus through Mr. Solomon here says, there's something called a merry heart that does something. I don't know what happiness and joy does, but it releases something inside of us. It's just like fear. If, if, if you're terribly afraid of something, you'd be surprised at the kind of adrenaline that can be released in your body. If somebody's attacking your spouse or your kids, you'd be surprised the kind of strength that would be instantly manifest. I mean, released just like that. Let somebody, let something happen to your kid and you've got to try to lift something three or four times your weight. And you've got, I mean, you will lift that thing because there's something in that body. So happiness, it releases something in us that's like a medicine. And people that are sad, the best thing they can do is be around happy people. You get around people that are smiling. You get around joyful people. That stuff is contagious. But if you get around sad, mean-spirited, angry people, that stuff is contagious too. Yeah. So I, I prefer smiles. I prefer joy because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's also one of the fruit of the Spirit. So when I'm around your tree, I'm wanting to pull on the joy that's there. See? 
Joel said in chapter 1 of his prophecy that one of the problems with the children of Israel and their backslidden condition was that joy languished on the vine. It withered away. And I've seen people that at one time were very happy. Let them get in a bad relationship. Let them take the wrong job. Let them move away, go to a church that's not encouraging, that doesn't minister to them. And people that once were very happy don't seem to smile like they once smiled. Yeah. So again, in Proverbs 17, verse 22, a merry heart, it does good just like a medicine. I wonder if a merry heart also refers to laughter. You know, the Bible talks about our hearts being filled with laughter. You know, there are some people that when they laugh, I laugh because they're laughing. Because they have the kind of laugh that makes me, makes me laugh. We've got a guy in, in the Hebron church named John Ireland. I don't care where he is in that church. If he goes to laughing, everybody is going to know it. And as soon as he starts laughing, you can look around the room and everybody turns in his direction, looks at him, and they start laughing or smiling also. Yeah. But it's the same thing here. If, if you can really get Dennis Wentworth when he's tickled and he gets to laughing, I can't stop laughing because it just puts a smile on my face. And then there are some people that when you talk to them, it doesn't matter even if they're trying to tell a serious story. Just their facial expressions and the way that they talk and move and their mannerisms makes you laugh. You know, if any of you in here ever met Steve Mulcher, he's like that. You can just have a conversation with him and you'll laugh just as he's talking to you. Well, we all know people like that. But a merry heart, being like a medicine, being around folks like that makes you feel good. And you come away from an hour in their presence or a half hour in their presence just greatly pleased that you were able to spend that little bit of time having a good time. And, and that's, that's one of the things I enjoy about our, our covered dish dinners or our potlucks. You know, when, when, when everybody's together, I enjoy just walking around looking at everybody as they're sitting at the tables or sitting around the chairs or folks are outside or wherever they are and just conversing and having a good time because that's medicine. And a person that comes through those doors, we don't know what kind of a week they've had. They've been fighting the devil. Somebody might have lost a job. Kids might have been in serious trouble. They're in need of prayer and some help with fasting. And when they come in on a, on a Sunday or sometimes for midweek service, shoulders are drooping, people are burdened, and they are wanting healing. The Bible says Jesus is the healer of broken hearts. How can we do that? With medicine. What kind of medicine? A merry heart. A merry heart. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. I want to show you something in the life of Jesus that I think would interest you. Luke chapter 10. Sometimes when we think of our Savior, we forget that even though he was fully God, he was also fully man. And that's very important for us to, to know. 
because when he was born, he was conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit, so he was a baby. We know that. He couldn't take care of himself. He had to be cared for. When he was 12 and he wandered off there and remained in the temple, he still required supervision at that age. The Bible says that when he was tempted for 40 days, afterwards he was hungry. He was just like us. It says in the Gospel of John that he was traveling through Samaria, leaned on the well of Jacob, and the Bible says he was weary. So he knows what that is. The scripture tells us one time on a boat, he was out there in the middle of a storm and the disciples were doing what they could to get the water out of the boat. And the scripture says Jesus was down there sleeping. He knows what that is. Hanging on the cross, the Bible tells us that our Savior said, I thirst. And let's not forget that in the Gospel of Mark, we are told that he became angry. Well, in Luke chapter 10, we learn something else, beginning with verse 17. The 70 returned again with joy. Notice those two words, with joy. Say those two words with me, with joy. Now, why did they come back with joy? Because they were saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. The earlier verses, Jesus gave them power to cast out devils. He gave them power to heal the sick. Now, now you've got to really be able to imagine this. You go into a village and there are two of you. We'll just say a mom and daughter, husband and wife, friends, two by two, going into different villages. And as you're preaching the gospel, Jesus said to them, heal the sick and preach the kingdom of God. Cast out devils, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. Can you imagine what those 70, not the 12 apostles, but the 70 were thinking when they laid hands on the first crippled person and the crippled person's bones started popping into place and the person was healed. You know they were excited. I guarantee you there were people running around. They were running around and as excited as the people that got healed. Because there was power communicated from heaven through their hands, they saw lives change. They preached the kingdom of God. They watched as people turned and started following Jesus. So by the time they all got back to the Lord, they were saying, Jesus, you should have been there. You couldn't even have a meeting like we had. It was powerful. They were excited about it. Well, maybe they wouldn't have said you couldn't have had a meeting like we had. But they were excited about it. But notice what Jesus said in all of their excitement in verse 18. I saw Satan fall from heaven. Verse 19, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you, notwithstanding or however in this don't rejoice that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written where? In heaven. In that hour, Jesus did what? Rejoiced in spirit. Now here's my question. In verse 17, it talks about them coming back with joy. And then in verse 20, he tells them why not to rejoice 
but gives them a reason to rejoice. And then it says in verse 21, Jesus rejoiced. Have you ever in your life heard of anybody rejoicing without happiness or a merry heart? Because at the center of the word rejoice is the word joy. Rejoice is the verb. See, it's the verb. Rejoice. Be happy. Make other people happy. Manifest your merry heart. That's what that means. Manifest your merry heart. When we come to service and we're singing, we're rejoicing in spirit. We're rejoicing in God. We're manifesting a merry heart. And if we're happy about what God has done for us, then quite naturally that merry heart that we have in here is also going to show up on our countenance. Now, you've heard me talk about this and harp on this all the time when I talk about this because, you know, you, you listen to people, they'll sing a song like, This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And when they sing it, they, they, they sing it as though somebody dropped an anvil on their foot. They look like they're in pain trying to sing it. Or they're singing it while they're staring at their watch, wondering how much longer am I going to have to endure this pain? Well, you know as well as I do, that person doesn't have a merry heart. They don't. It's one thing to sing a song. It's another thing to rejoice in spirit. Yeah, to rejoice in spirit. On Sunday when I'm up here and we're doing the song service and I see the folks out there, I can, I can look and see who's rejoicing in God, and I can look and see who'd rather be doing something else. Fortunately for us here, the bulk of the people that are out here are singing and rejoicing in the King. That's what we want, to manifest that merry heart. And if Jesus could have a merry heart in the midst of a religious community like Israel, shouldn't we have a religious heart out here in the heartland? See, What if you go to a home-going service for somebody and they are conducting it as though it's really a sad affair? However, you know the decedent was a Christian. And then they start singing some of those hymns that really have a whole lot of truth in there, and you get to sing in one of those verses that really push your buttons. You get excited about God. I know exactly what you're going to do. You, you, you're probably going to start smiling and thinking about the king, and if, you, if you're like me, it wouldn't matter if I was in a Presbyterian church or a Baptist church. The hand is going to go up, and I'm going to say, praise the Lord as I glorify him because I'm rejoicing in spirit. I'm not rejoicing to be seen but I am rejoicing to please him. See, a merry heart does good like a medicine. Jesus set the example. Let's live by that example. And if we do that, we push away sadness. We push away excessive sorrow. We push away depression. How do I change my emotional state? Put on some Christian music. Change the atmosphere. If you're going to get in the car and you get in the car and you're already not feeling well in the sense that it hadn't been a good day and your thoughts are disturbed, don't get in that car and put on MSNBC or Fox News or Newsmax or CNN. Put on some praise and worship that's going to magnify the name of Jesus. 
Otherwise, you're just going to be on the road driving to where you're driving and your blood's going to be boiling and you might get mad enough and run off in a ditch. But see, if you go ahead and get into a place where you're worshiping and praising God and creating an atmosphere of the joy of the Lord, you might end up having one of them chariot rides that Elijah had and just feel like you're caught away in the presence of the king. That's important. So let's create the atmosphere and let's not be afraid to create it even in the midst of other people. Jesus wasn't afraid to rejoice in front of his disciples. Don't be afraid to rejoice in front of your family members and in front of your friends. Be bold and be forceful and love our king who loved us so much he gave his only begotten son. Amen. Praise God. Father, we thank you this evening that your word is true. We really want to be a worshipful people, and we pray, God, that our worship would be honoring, God honoring in every aspect. Let our songs lift up your Son, and let your presence fill this place in our homes, in our vehicles, and our jobs. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, 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 amen.